1: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tacovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
0: This is DSC's Untamed Heritage. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Ruger. Rugged, reliable firearms. Hardity. Accurate, diddly, dependable Trijicon Brilliant aiming solutions Burnham Brothers calls. Call this Calls Made Texas Wildlife Association Working for Tomorrow's Wildlife Today Texas Raised Hunting Products The Scent Gods www.FreelandTheHuntersMoon.com The Hunter Conservation Website in the office this afternoon with mr cory mason with the dallas safari club cory of course is the executive director of dsc which entails so many different things <laughs> particularly these in these and i guess a good thing would be quote-unquote interesting times that we're into cory what's what's happening this week because I'll probably next year when we talk again next week it'll be different again
2: so it is larry thanks for the opportunity to be with you oh, always i appreciate that i'd was actually having a sort of a hall conversation while while ago with someone it's talking about the diversity of the day. And we started off with a call this morning on uh, Senate Bill 1175 in California, talking about that, uh, followed that up with a, with another conversation last meeting associated with uh, the New Zealand tar culling issue. So we were addressing that for a bit and working on sort of an action plan with that, following up with some Hunter's Care conversation and then sort of sprinkling convention in through the afternoon, and now I'm reviewing some uh, legislation soon to go to the U.S. Senate. So. It's been uh, it's been a diversity of things today, Larry. It's been a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> it has
0: truly been a Monday in a lot of different ways, obviously. Uh, let's just start from the beginning where you're talking about. What's going on in California right now? I know, I know a little bit about the bill, but what is the status as of this week? And this week is essentially the second week of, of July.
2: Yeah, so. you bet. So it's one of those bills that hopefully sportsmen kind of have on their radar uh, because what, it, what the bill does there in California, it's referred to as Senate Bill 1175, and it's now passed the Senate. Yes, sir. So it's headed for. Further votes now, uh, and what it does is it, it would make illegal the possession of legally taken animals, certain animals from Africa, primarily sort of those charismatic animals that maybe get some of that notoriety uh, lion, um, excuse me, lion, leopard, elephant, etc. It would make the possession of those animals illegal in the state of California, which. That piece of legislation alone is illegal and unenforceable because a state piece of legislation cannot supersede federal legislation such as the Endangered Species Act. Right. But nonetheless, this is the second time in which California has moved this particular kind of legislation forward. And so the prior time in 2018, it went all the way to the governor's desk. And the governor wrote a very short, simple, to-the-point letter that said, although I agree with this piece of legislation, which is a bit alarming, yes, uh, it is unenforceable if I sign this into act. Uh, and so he didn't sign it. He returned it back to the Senate, and, and it died there. But it's back again. It's still the same environment around it. Um, and really the strategies there from those organizations that are behind it, you know, the Humane Societies, the Born for Ease, the Center for Biological Diversity, is just to continue to push it until there's someone that is willing to take it up to a higher court if you will yes so They're persistent, and they're well-funded, so they continue to push it and push it and push it. And so, fortunately, we have a really strong consortium of partners uh, that are working on this particular piece of legislation, or I should say working against this piece of legislation. Right, right, right. Um, And so we have a good show out there. You know, our partners, such like Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, uh, Conservation Force John Jackson, a a good friend and partner of ours in the industry working together, and then a number of other organizations, Sportsman Alliance, et cetera. There's a really strong industry coming together to realize we have to stomp this out now. Now. And so that, you know, we have that going on. And kind of to shift to the next topic that I mentioned was the New Zealand tar culling project, in which they're essentially kind of Department of Conservation, if you will, is looking at associated with their parks. Uh, and so on the surface, a conservationist may say or a biologist may say, well, yeah, it's a non-indigenous species there. Uh, it was a sort of a naturalized, you know, species decades and decades ago. But the rationale behind it is not because of the biological damage that this particular species is doing, rather it's the organizations that are that are pushing this forward as sort of the tip of the spear, and they're trying to remove these species that are hunted uh and not considering the economical impact, not in considering the impact to those that manage these species and those that that maintain them for a livelihood as well uh but the tar itself in this in those mountain ranges have done extremely well i mean they've they've naturalized you know they're they're essentially a naturalized species at this point that is extremely healthy, you know, and they're hunted widely. Obviously, they're hunted sustainably, most importantly.
0: Right. exactly
2: they are. Uh, yeah, and so um, the point of the issue, if you will, and now it actually went, now there's been an injunction filed, so it's all sort of on pause right now. There'll be a sort of a litigation-type fight that'll be upcoming. The DSC is engaged in this by working with policymakers, providing information, engaging our members to support this essentially financially we will likely support this financially as well in the process of working on what that looks like right now we're engaging with our members as well as our exhibitors that are from the south pacific as a whole more specifically new zealand Um, and those in australia are watching this as well you know Um, but so we're engaging with them letting we know that we're there to support those conservation needs as well so so that's kind of a, another uh, thing that we're touching Corey, right now. Corey,
0: what's the status of the Himalayan tar in its native land?
2: Yeah, it's it's not strong, uh, you know, and it, it, it's it's interesting to see that within New Zealand uh, that the Himalayan tar is has done unbelievably well. It has. It's yes, done sir. unbelievably well. Some like the similar. Some some parallels there between sort of the uh, the Barbary sheep in Texas versus the African coast, right? You know? Exactly. <laughs> so it's it's done extremely well, and um, and again, a number of people rely on that particular species, well managed for their livelihoods, you know, and uh, like like many farmers and ranchers do, you know. I've been over there twice to hunt, maybe three times to
0: hunt <clears throat> a car. and yep. it is a difficult hunt. It, it is difficult to particularly, I mean. If you go up there and do it right, like you land somewhere, we, yep. what we did is they dropped us off in a helicopter, and that's where we hunted from. I mean, it mm-hmm. wasn't one of these. I know in some instances they may have taken the, their laws are totally different there compared sure. here. But when you hunt them that way, those animals are very great eyesight. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're generally found in herds, so you're dealing with a whole lot of eyes looking at you at the same time. And that terrain
2: is, is very, very challenging, to say it the is. least. It is, yeah, and it's usually a few feet of snow in certain time of the year you know it's oh, a pretty yes, extreme sir. environment it, yeah. it can be it, it's a very
0: enjoyable hunt in a very tough if you like tough things to do I guess that's the it. best way to do it yep but hopefully that, that, that can be stopped in one way or the other I know that in the past when I've been there we've been out and I was trying to remember what year it was but uh, this goes back I think a little way when they were trying to do some of this maybe control work hmm. without going as far as saying eradication but every one of the tar that we took had buckshot somewhere in their body when we started skinning them. So, I mean, going back to that time frame, hopefully we can get it to where that won't happen again now. But. Yep. Well, what were some of the other interesting things? Because that, that that in itself is pretty diverse. <laughs> I, I do want to come back to the California thing. What, yep. what I find interesting there, if anybody's ever watched The Wizard of Oz, going mm-hmm. back to the original, or maybe at least one that Judy Garland was in, yep. but the gentleman that played the lion, that was a true lion hide. It was a, the cape of a lion and the skin of a lion. And it would make what I was thinking about when you said that—that that is a historical piece of clothing, That's if right. you will. Yeah. And it would be interesting to see how that would be looked at, if they would look at that differently yeah. than they would anything
2: else. That's interesting. I, I wasn't aware of that. It's a good piece yeah, of Bert, trivia for the Bert day. Lahr
0: played that part. And it was. It took him a while to get dressed up in it, but it, I remember reading things about how it was a real line skin, yeah. and it evidently was ungodly hot inside. I that. sure it was. <laughs> but again, there, you know there's a historical yeah. aspect that I wonder how they might handle some things. Yeah. The other things that you mentioned, let's go back to those.
2: Yeah, so we've had uh, spent a couple hours today on the DSC convention. So, sort of an update on that, uh, recognizing the environmental situations around us from travel restrictions and unknowns associated with public gatherings and all those sorts of things. This time of the year, or currently now, and then trying to look forward. Now, the DSC convention is usually the first to second week of January. Right. Yes, sir. It's kind of the kickoff event for the entire industry associated with that. When our international partners are coming over and sort of celebrate and begin it with DSC. And looking at what's in the best interest of our attendees and our exhibitors regarding again back to the exhibitor side specifically, the ability to simply travel and be here, be present. Yes. Big, which is a big, was, big yeah, deal, actually. It think. is, you know, because without those great finest quality exhibitors in the world, we don't have a convention, you know? Yes, sir. And they're really our partners in every sense of the word. every sense of the word. I agree. And so recognizing all those constraints around there, we had reached out and been visiting with the convention center about what are some opportunities to look a little bit later in the year. But we can't go too far because we recognize that there are a number of other conventions and our partner organizations that the exhibitors are coming across to attend an exhibit there as well so we have to try to create this compressed window where they can be here as in country as little time as possible but sort of get the best bang out of their buck as well true and the date that was available to us which we're really excited about was the second week in february now the convention will be february 11 through 14 so we essentially set our convention back one month in just a few days but one month a calendar perspective And we're really hopeful that that month will really lead towards the ability to understand better what restrictions look like as we flip the calendar year, you know, as we look into the year. Where we were currently as the first week, we didn't really have the time to have new restrictions implemented, if you will. You know, many things that are going on right now are are, are through the end of the year. Which is, would just be just a few days. And so we we wanted to create some space there to know what that's gonna look like. And so, of course, we're working through all the plan A's and B's and C's, but in that, of course, before we moved that, we reached out to a number of our long standing exhibitors, and some of those also include like our associations that then collectively represent hundreds of the outfitters that are there. Yes, you're right and um, uh, and so it was overwhelmingly supportive, and they not only did they say, "Yes, we please do that, it was please do that for us too you know so so we just made that that switch this last week, and of course, as you can imagine, with an event that has fifty thousand different people associated from the de- logistical side to the delivery side um it's it's a pretty big task, you know, so we've partitioned those duties out and made a deployment list, if you will, and we've been working through that and kind of getting that to a good place and, and monitoring the pulse of that as well. So
0: that is a multi full time <laughs> job right there.
2: It is. There's a <laughs> anyway, lot of facets, facets to that convention.
0: People who've never been involved in the in a convention, particularly one of this size, I doubt very seriously have an understanding as to all the different facets, as you mentioned, that you have to take in yeah. consideration there. And, but uh, regardless, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be an absolutely fantastic invention. I know I've already talked to a whole lot of people uh, since the word has gotten out, and I said, "You are going to be there, aren't you?" And go, well, of course I am. You know, <laughs> what do you mean? I wouldn't even think not coming. So good. And as we get closer to the end of the year, we'll continue to, try to keep people you updated, <clears throat> me through a, a multitude of ways, I'm sure yep. as well too.
2: We got a, a note on a personal level, Larry. I got an email from a gentleman that we announced that and sent an e-blast out. A gentleman sent a note uh, that found its way to me that he this was his, his going to be his 33rd event, that he was at a DSC convention and he was going to attend. And so I I found that just such encouragement. So I reached out, of course, and, and oh, visited absolutely. with him a little bit. But I thought that was a lot of fun. And I think it's really reflective of the loyalty that is behind DSC as an organization. You know, people, in, they come to the convention maybe for the first time, and they use that as an opportunity to learn about the organization. And they learn about our conservation footprint. They build fellowship and relationships there. And the next thing you know, they look over their shoulder. They've been coming for five and ten years. And, you know, they have the next year's plan on the calendar, and they're coming. And, and uh, it just really builds this great body of people together. And it's just a great event. It is. I've been involved
0: with the convention now for
2: a few years.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and it's amazing the people. I'm, I remember the people that I met back literally going back to early 90s yep. that uh, think through the good Lord they're still here and they're coming every year and of course over the period of time since then as you mentioned you meet somebody and then you see them again the next year and you see them again the next exactly. year and the next year and it's become truly an annual event <clears throat> and including in certain instances uh, I know of several young people young ladies and young gentlemen talking about when they were five and six years old that had their birthday party at DSC convention. <laughs> I love it. And every year they come back and it's been, what's really been interesting and, and fun in my part is that I met these kids when they were five or six years old. Well, they're now, they're 20 <laughs> yeah. and guess what? They're coming and they're bringing their kids as well
2: too. It. So I mean, yep. it, it is, it's become very much a family affair in, in so many yep. different ways. We try to build that environment as well. As you, as you well know that, you know, we try to build an environment. Number one, it's the top quality exhibitors around the world and that's from the hunting side to the art side of the firearms industry to, you know, just beautiful art of all kinds and a little bit of everything for everybody, you know, and we build that family environment and, That's one of the things, you know, that that our convention is structured a little differently than some of the others, some of the major conventions in the sense that we have a four-day convention and two of those days are purposefully on the weekends. And the reason for that is that's when families are available to attend. And that Saturday and Sunday are really important to us so that even if someone's coming for the first time just to see and walk the aisles and look at the convention, if they're buying something or not, they're in the room and they're learning about DSC and they're there to support. And if it's young kids or old, whatever it is, um, they're there. And most often when you ask them, hey, what was your impression? They can't wait to come back. <laughs> I've
0: gotten to them because I'll tell you to see people with the j- jaws drop going, oh my gosh, you know, kind of yep. thing. But that, you're right, that Saturday and Sunday, particularly, and to me, maybe if I pay a little bit more attention on Saturday, I'm getting tired by Sunday <laughs> like everybody else <laughs> sure. is. But I noticed on Saturday, we have a tremendous number of, of young families that are there. And mm-hmm. I'm talking about everything from, from not even toddlers yet, you know, still moms carrying around or in a stroller to. To, to all different ages of kids that yep. show up for that, and we had some a, of those kids are in their seventies and eighties as well too, and they're they're right. still as enthused about <laughs> being there. as what I think they would have been if they'd have been, you know, eight, 10, 12 right. years
2: old. We had a Namibian outfitter this year shared a story with me that said that you know they they have, of course been with us for a long time, probably probably close to thirty years at this point, twenty five to thirty years, and. They had a gentleman come up to them a couple of years ago that had met them like six to seven years prior. And it was the person that just walked in not knowing what it was about, what they would see there, and walked in with just big, wide-open eyes, you know, and visited with this particular outfitter. And sort of left, and the outfitter didn't know it, sort of left with this internal aspiration that I'm going to go hunt with these people when I can financially do so. And came back to them and essentially said, I don't know if you remember me, but you talked to me again five, six, seven years ago. And I'm here with my money that I've been saving for the last, again, some number of years, and I'm going hunting with you. And they oh, said how that, fantastic. <laughs> the conversation that you were willing to have with me is someone that was not willing and able to do it now, but you are now. And, like, and I remembered that, and I'm going hunting with you now. And, and they sort of use it as a reflection point that that person that's walking down the hall, the young family or the old that's not been there, but the importance of having people that are, that are there to purchase things now and to participate now, as well as those that are aspiring to do so at some point in time. Absolutely. I've talked to several people and were there. I know speaking to an outfitter, and it may be somebody I happen to know,
0: both the outfitter and, and the person in, they're going, I can't go this year, but I've got this much money set aside. I'm doing this. I'm taking on this extra job, I'm doing this kind of thing, you know, to, yep. and, and in two years, I am going to go. And in some instances, those guys have booked that far ahead as well, too, you know, right. knowing that they will have the money by then. And But it is, it is such, I, I, I try to say that it is a huge family reunion. You bet. And in so many ways it is, because you see so many people there that you've met over the years and... You know, what I love, too, is seeing all the new faces. Yep. The, the, the people that maybe this is their first time, and and you go up to visit with somebody, and you go, first time you're here? And you go, oh, yeah, my <laughs> gracious, this is unbelievable. You coming back next year? Next year, I'm planning my entire four days around this event kind of thing. And, and there's yep. good cause for it, because, of the, I yeah. think because and I think it starts... With DSC, with the attitude that, that DSC has about their exhibitors, about their attendees, mm-hmm. that we've talked in the past about the DSC 100, which you bet. used to mean 100 people, now it's 100 percent as I absolutely as I'm so proud for you to <laughs> yep. say for those five or 600, 100 people that are there, you That's know, right. kind of thing. Yep. But it, it, there's a there's a pride amongst the members, and it shows and a willingness to help and and to do whatever they can to make this convention is not only a very successful one, but also one that's truly enjoyed by a lot of people.
2: It is, and I think if, if people really had the, the opportunity to see what all is happening around them, you know, when you walk in and, like you say, when you talk to that first-time exhibitor, or excuse me, attendee, their response is always, man, I should have given myself two days, you know. Exactly. Never enough time. Oh, but no. But it's all of the other conservation-related things that happen around there, to know that in this other meeting hall over here is is a number of wildlife ministry officials representing some number of foreign countries that are there to talk with us and to talk with their partners and work on conservation action plans and grants in action and all those kinds of things, and that our conservation advisory board meets during that period of time and is essentially charting the course forward and prioritizing our work uh, as we work collaboratively with this great sense of partners from around the world on that CAB board. And so there's all kinds of different things that are taking place there. Other conservation organizations like the US delegation of CIC and many other organizations that are meeting there and using that as a forum because there's such a diversity of people that are there that they take advantage of it in a good way, take advantage of those gatherings. You're exactly
0: right. I've been fortunate <coughs> to speak to some of these groups, even down to like the uh, Hunter Safety groups. Mm-hmm. Now they have their annual get together here, particularly yep. for Texas, and I've had a chance to speak with them. and It's one of those things. Hey, this is where we're going to we're gonna meet because it's fun and and uh, it's a good it's a good meeting area anyway. But you're right. So many people they they see the seminars, a little bit of things we do on the stage, of course, everything else. But you're right. They don't see what's going on in some of the back rooms, no. and and I don't mean that in a bad way because those back rooms where people are getting together. To look at what we can do and how we can help each other that's right. is so very important, and that's part of the that's the part maybe that's the convention part rather than uh, that's right the uh, some of the other things that we use as a description is one of the find or the finest hunting expo on earth yep. or in the universe, and uh, all those are true too
2: though. <laughs> it is, you know, we we use that word gathering place a lot, and it really yes. takes a lot of different definitions there. And we really pride ourselves as an organization and one that brings things and people together. You know, we had an industry meeting this last year there where we had about, I think the number was 17 different conservation organizations there. And we were looking for common rally points, uh, recognizing that our missions overlap significantly in some places, minorly in other, but nonetheless we have significant common ground there. And we were looking towards the upcoming IUCN World Conservation Congress and and motions that we can be working on collaboratively and pieces of legislation and other concepts that we need to defeat collectively And so we were talking through many of those kinds of things, and we've had some byproducts spawn out of those kinds of meetings. And so it brings people together that are extremely busy, flying all over the world doing things, even if it's for one hour to just have some face time. It's incredibly important relationship-wise. It really (laughs) is.
0: And there's so many things going on right now in this global world compared to what it was just not very long (laughs) ago. And and I'm sure we'll continue to face more and more (laughs) challenges, if you will, or and, and from those, I'm one of those, I, I've always considered myself the, the eternal optimist, because behind every dark cloud, there is a silver, silver lining, and you know, in, in every pile of manure, if you dig down deep enough, there's a sign of a pony there somewhere, kind of thing, so yeah. to, to me, sometimes you got to dig a little bit deeper to find the positive things. There's a lot going on right now. In the world, as I mentioned, but we're trying to stay on top of it as much as we can, a lot of different ways, particularly from a wildlife perspective, such as
2: the hunter's care program. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's you know that's one of those things when you look back over your shoulder to see what a year looked like, and one of those metrics you can really measure success with. And when you look through a a global pandemic crisis in which we're facing, uh, economically, personally, socially, all those different metrics there. And you look at, we realize the reality of conservation threats around the world. And we realize what the threats can look like on the African continent imminently. You know, we look in North America, we have the, the greatest trained conservation officers in the world. And then we look at Africa, great trained people, very little resources, very little funding, very little equipment, etc. And it can be essentially uh, challenged and changed in, you know, in a one-week period. Yes, sir. Where DSC and DSC Foundation stood up very quickly and said, We need to continue to get dollars to the front lines of conservation and in Africa many times that is anti poaching. In the time of greatest need when dollars were not making their way to Africa from Europe and from the United States proper, recognizing that seventy percent of their tourism comes from the United States into southern Africa. So when Americans can't get there financially, can't get there, financially Africa, you know, dies on the vine, hurting, if you will. Hurting badly, yeah. Both for hunting tourism as well as photographic tourism, both. Um, in DSE and DSC and DSCF Foundation stood in the gap and said, you know what, we're gonna make this work. So we invested, sort of, in reach to those exhibitor partners initially. And the foundation has beautifully stood up, taking a 100% pass-through, putting dollars on the ground, and reaching a number of critical areas that will be challenged and completely impossible to, to hold the line, if you will, without those dollars. And so, yeah, I'm incredibly proud of that effort. And unfortunately, it's still going forward. And so, because that need won't stop.
0: No, as, no, no, no. And it is as, an immediate need. It's that's not right. one of those things where we can hope grab money and hold it for six, eight months and send it up. Those folks need the money now. And it's yep. amazing how far... Even small amounts of money or relatively small amounts of money go in Africa as compared to here.
2: That's right. You know, when you look at an anti-poaching scout and you look at those teams that are on the ground, realizing where they live and the resources they're used to, and you look at $300 is what keeps one of those scouts on the ground for a month. A month of time, three hundred dollars. And so someone that's willing and able to give a hundred dollars or fifty dollars or three thousand dollars, it singularly can make a difference. Yes, sir. And again it's total
0: pass through. It comes in okay. and it goes out. Very quickly, I know. That's it's right. at the foundation, we try to get things out when money comes in. We try to get it out as much as possible within seven working days. And a lot of yep. times that includes having to worry about bank transfers and making sure the money goes yep. where it's supposed to. So all that, and then too, a lot of things you can you can decide who you want it to go to. You yep. can decide what country you want it to go to, or you can put it into a general fund based upon you know actual needs that so that we can maybe push in a certain directions. But you can be assured that every dollar that comes in goes right back out again. There's no administrative fees or any of those other kind yep. of things that so often are associated with, with the, when it comes down to making contributions. So, yep. this money goes where it needs to. And, and, and as you said, if you've got, if you can afford $30, $25, $50, $100, or hopefully $300,000, <laughs> that's we, right. We'd love to have it because it's going to go to where it needs to go. And, and wildlife particularly will benefit as as will the local people too because those local people will have some influences too what happens in that part of the world, and if we show them how much hunters care and, and that we 're here to help them they 'll make a lot of difference down the way is the perpetuation of that
2: habitat, and that 's those very species that live there that 's exactly right, you know one of the beautiful examples that we saw, Larry, was one of the very first sort of testimonials we got back unsolicited right was a particular operator in Mozambique that was able to keep his team employed for a period of two months on the grant that we gave him, and one of the very first things that they had done was essentially set up a I'll use the word ambush, if you will, but they were watching a road leaving their hunting concession, going back into town, and there was a, a gentleman on a bicycle that was, you know, a poacher that they soon to found out, right. had a basket with him, and they essentially, they didn't, you know, they grabbed him off the bike, if you will, to say, hey, what are you doing in here, and he had a pangolin, one of the most, you know, poached animals in the world, imperiled animals in the world, pangolin's a non-game species, you know, and Not a lot well-known about them, except for the fact that those little scales on those little guys are highly coveted in certain parts of the world, and so that's the reason they're poached. And that pangolin was still alive. And so they sent us this really cool video of that pangolin being essentially re-delivered back to the, repatriated back to the wild under the name of Dallas Safari Club, you know. And it's a great thing, and as hunters, they know that. Hunters know the role that they play in the conservation of all species, But it was a great reminder of the fact, the role that the hunting community plays in the protection and conservation of all species, game species and non-game species. Amen. Almost
0: all the efforts that we do... In trying to promote game species, the habitat, and the non-game species benefits, so many multi times more than than what the, the supposed target species are. Yeah. I've learned that over the years. You know, as a wildlife biologist in Texas. Same thing in different parts of the world. But you're right. It it's it's far-reaching. It's so far-reaching. Yep. Interesting about that they were able to to that that pangolin was still alive, and then they yep. were able to release it.
2: Yeah, I was really that, cool. the little pangolin curled up just like maybe like an armadillo that people would be right. familiar with and laid him down and he kinda laid there a minute, then yeah, a tough, stuck tough his hard. head
0: up and checked the corner and <laughs> off he went. <laughs> Corey, in the next month or so or two months, say between now and September, what are some of the concerns that, that you see that we that we need to be concerned
2: about? We will be continuing to follow at the at the national level pieces of legislation that are going to the U.S. Senate primarily associated with wildlife trade. Uh, and many of those are under the guise of disease control and prevention, which right. clearly we would all support that. Yes. But the problem is, is it's taking sort of as a very broad sweeping and a broad net to pull in things like international wildlife trade, which very clearly is not to be regulated by the U.S. Congress. It is specifically to be regulated by CITES and then the management authorities, for example, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and other countries as well, Canadian Wildlife Service, et etc., cetera, etc., cetera, But there are a number of pieces of legislation that we're aware of, uh, one that I kind of laid some eyes on today and reviewed and provided some comments on, uh, some that are reasonable and some that are absolutely ridiculous, you know, that we will be intervening on and engaging our local representatives on and our partner organizations as well and and lining up shoulder to shoulder to defeat. And so that's a really significant one because it sets, again, national policy, and, and we all know that when us fish and wildlife us congress then ultimately fish and wildlife service is directed to implement certain things uh, that many places around the world use that essentially as kind of a guiding compass and so it's a it's a dangerous yes. precedent right. right and so that's one that's in front of us significantly and we continue to look towards the IUCN World Conservation Congress which was scheduled to be in June in Marseille uh, but obviously because of the pandemic it's been moved now to January Um, which is one of the benefits. So we'll be able to attend that again now this year, Good, uh, which is good. Uh, But preparation associated with that. So we're working with very closely with international partners with CIC and FACE um, and IWNC World Conservation Trust that we're working on already providing some preparatory documents, working with some wildlife ministries around the world as well on some of the pro versus con type document building and all of that. And so, recognizing that, again, that's an international forum that will set, I'll say sets policy, sets direction, maybe a better word, for where management authorities go from there. And so those are two really big pieces that are out there in front of us that we will be working really diligently on, but then all the while keeping a pulse on uh, policy things like California. What's the next thing comes right. from there, and then the, you know, last year Connecticut had a similar type bill. So we'll be working on that, as well as you know, just specifically conservation-related things that are just you know coming our way continuously, and and um, working with our members to keep them informed and and really uh, acting in their stead. So. And
0: that's probably that's where I was going to hit with some of this. When you mentioned that, is particularly what's going on here that we can have some control over. Yeah. Meaning the citizens of the states, you know, the citizens of the U.S. Yeah, beyond being a member of, of DSC and and possibly like the Congressional Portsmouth Foundation supporting yeah. them and some of these other organizations that are out there. What can an individual
2: do to, to help with this effort that we're going to be faced with? Absolutely. So one of the very first things I'm going to say is engage in sort of two fronts. And the first is engage with your conservation organization. And hopefully that's DSE that someone chooses to be a part of. Be a part of it with us. Be in the fight with us because we're going to keep you informed on what's going on and keep you educated on where these pieces of legislation or where the issue may go to a, the State Wildlife Commission or you know the U.S. Senate, everything in between, and then we're going to ask them to activate, for them to activate in their stead, pick up the phone, pick up the email, whatever, just to make that contact. So that's one. And number two is November elections, which are right ahead of us. And that is a critically Amen. important thing, Amen. all the way from Second Amendment uh, to pro-hunting issues as well. And so November elections will be very telling, it, it obviously, at state and federal level, both. So the best thing to do there is to get out and vote and encourage all those who have somewhat
0: stronger right. feelings to what you do to get them out to vote. Get as well out too. and vote. That's right. Yeah, be, become a voter. Don't sit back and go, well, I wish I'd have voted. That look's what what's happened now. That's right. Uh, again, vote. You know, Encourage your family. <laughs> encourage your friends to vote as well, too. And, and uh, hopefully we can defeat some of this at the polls this year. It's going to be an interesting battle that we're ahead of in the It's one that we can't afford to lose, quite frankly, the way that I look at it. That's it. Complacency leads to defeat. It just does. So we we need people to be active. Yep. So please be active. Corey, thank you very much. If anybody wants to learn more about DFC, of course, the place to go is to www.biggame.org. Or if you want to learn a little bit more about some of the things that the DSC Foundation does, it's www.dscf.org. And uh, you can find out a whole lot there. And there's also
2: phone numbers there where they can call the office if they have specific questions. We'd love to visit with them. We'd love to talk to them about a particular issue, something that they're seeing. Maybe they have a piece of information they want to make sure that we're up to speed on. We welcome that kind of input and engagement. Amen. Thank you, Corey. Thanks, Larry. Appreciate it.
0: DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, conservation, education, protecting hunter's rights. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trijicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Vernon Brothers Game Calls, countless calls made. Texas Wildlife Association, working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas-raised hunting products, the scent gods, www.trailinthehuntersmoon.com, the Hunter Conservations' website.